So we have, for the last few weeks, been in this series uh, that is called You Asked For It. And the reason it's called You Asked For It is because because you asked for it, okay? <laughs> yeah, it's very creative. And back in the spring, we did a survey and asked everybody, it was, there was a list of things you could choose from. What would you be interested in hearing a message on? And it really gives us a window, not only to speak to the things that um, you're interested in, but also it gives us a window into what's going on in our church and the kinds of struggles that we're having and the things that we really would love to know what God has to say about. And so um, we took those topics, we boiled them down, and that uh, this series is what has come out of it. We've talked about a lot of interesting things, marriage and parenting and what's God's plan for me so far. And um, today we're going to talk about something that is, um, was one of the most, I think it was the most voted for topic of all of them. And it's something that is uh, difficult in a lot of ways. And I think that's why you asked for it. And so each week in the series, we've introduced you to someone from our church who has this same question, who's had to go through this same thing. And uh, maybe it'll help us relate to one another. So today, uh, we're going to start off before the message, and we're going to hear from Lori. Hi, I'm Lori, and I have a husband and a son, and forgiveness is something I've struggled with. There was an incident when I was a child, and so the person that I had the most struggle with was my mom. And once the incident happened, we didn't ever talk about it. She never said she was sorry. She never uh, admitted to doing any wrong, so it was really hard for me to forgive her. I think forgiveness is hard because you're going to the person that hurts you and in a way you're kind of saying that it was okay and then you're becoming very vulnerable and you are opening yourself up to be hurt again. It's important because we all sin and if you hold on to that sin, your sin and the sin of others, that it changes you and it consumes you. So it took me getting to know God. Um, when I was growing up, I always believed in him, but I didn't have a relationship with him. And it wasn't until I had a relationship with him that I wanted to, um, to do it. Um, it gave me the courage and the strength to do it, but I also wanted to grow closer to him. And I knew with this um, inside my heart that I couldn't grow closer to him. And I can't be more like him if I'm holding grudges against people. Forgiveness has changed me because I used to always feel, even as an adult, like I was still that little girl that was hurt and was building up walls to protect and that those walls make you isolated. And forgiveness has allowed me to knock those, some of those walls down and realize um, that I need to stop the isolation and how hurtful that has been for me. It has been really neat over the last couple of years to see what God has done in Lori's life and in so many of your lives as well, um, because these things that we've been through in our life can be very painful. They can be very hard. Forgiveness is incredibly hard, and it can also be very confusing, but it is also very important. I think we know that, and so we're going to talk about it today. I've found lately for me, I've had to practice a lot of forgiveness um, because I don't know what's happened to people but they forgot how to drive. Am I right? 
I don't know what, uh, people have, they have lost their minds out on the road. I don't know what's going on. And I don't know what's going on because this side of the room's laughing and this side is not. So what it tells me is that 50% of the world has lost their mind. You're the drivers, aren't you? You're the drivers who have lost your minds. I know what's going on over there. All right. I, I, have, I have figured out that, and I've been working on the whole philosophy of driving safety this week because of some incidents that have happened to me recently. And I swear, over the last two weeks, I've been in six or seven accidents, not in six or seven accidents, near accidents, okay? Close calls, skin of my teeth. They were not with safety taxis as they've normally been in my life. They were just with regular drivers on the road. And, uh, and so I've developed this, this new philosophy of um, uh, safe driving that I wish everybody would just follow, which um, rule number one in safe driving is stop being nice, just follow the rules, okay? Stop being nice, just follow the rules. I have been, there have been four or five incidents over the last two weeks where I've almost been in accidents in my vehicle because someone was being nice to someone else and not thinking about the fact that everybody else around them doesn't know what they're about to do. So if we would just stop being nice and follow the expectations, like when you come up to a stop sign, follow the right of way rule. Okay, whoever gets there first gets to go first. And if you get there at the same time, the person on the right gets to go first. Just follow the rule. Stop being nice. I, I got to an intersection not too long ago. I pulled up to it. Three cars all at the same time pulled up to it. I had the right of way because I was all the way on the right. And I know my right from my left, unlike my kids. And so I knew that I could, I was supposed to go. And so I pulled out in the intersection to go, except the person to the left of me had waved out the person to the left of them. They've been like, go ahead. But I was going at the same time. Just follow the rules. Stop being nice, okay? I'll give you one example that will encompass all of this in just a moment. That's rule number one. Rule number two, when you're driving, focus on driving. It's enough. Driving is enough for your attention. It really is. You don't need to put your makeup on. You can't, frankly, you won't do a good job with your makeup because you can't do both of them 100% at the same time. So if you're looking for 80% of makeup coverage, you're only doing 20% of driving focus. The math works on this, okay? So just driving is enough. You, we don't need to check our phone. We, listen, I, get, I actually have friends who give me a hard time because I will not text and drive because they know that if they text me and I leave my house to go to their house, they are not going to hear from me until I get to their house because I will not text and drive. I refuse to do it because there is no text that will ever come into my phone that's more important than my family's life. There's no text I'm ever going to get that's worth leaving my family without a father or leaving the family that's coming the other way without a mom or whatever, you know. It's just not worth it. So just you, when you're driving, driving is enough. So just put our attention on, you know, the road and obstacles. And I, I know it feels safe or whatever, but boy, somebody could pull out at any second. And I've been in several near close calls over the last couple of weeks, and the person looked up from their phone like, a, oh, what are you doing there? <laughs> well, I was driving. That's what I was doing. I'm not sure what you were doing. I was just as an example of this, and then I'll move on. I don't want to spend a lot of time here. I'm, just, I'm, I'm a little irritated. And I'm learning. Here's the thing. I'm, I'm, I'm learning I'm learning to forgive people that make these kinds of mistakes out on the road. And it's not easy. But I was driving down uh, Inner Street, and I'm coming from, kind of from the square, the main part of, of, of Salisbury. Down Inner Street, you know, there's two lanes on the right, two lanes on the left. I'm in the left lane, and I'm going at a safe rate of speed because I also don't speed, believe it or not. You don't have to do that. And so I also don't speed. So, so I'm driving the speed limit down the left lane, and the right lane is kind of backed up right there in front of Wendy's. 
and it's backed up and somebody's trying to pull out of Wendy's. And so somebody decides to let the person out of Wendy's. Except that the person who's coming out of Wendy's assumed that when the person in the right lane let them out of the parking lot, that the left lane was clear. But the left lane was not clear. I was coming down through the left lane. So they were doing something to be nice, but the person who's pulling out did not expect for another car to be coming down the road. And when I pulled, and I, she, she pulled out of Wendy's in front of the car that was letting her out into my lane, I slammed on the brakes. Everything in my minivan went, wow, right to the front of the vehicle. Wheels screeched the whole thing. And I ended up probably, I don't know, maybe a foot. It felt like an inch away from her driver's side door. And she just looked up out her window at me with a bacon cheeseburger in this hand <laughs> and her phone in this hand with her elbow on the wheel and she looked up at me like, what are you doing here? I was like, I was driving. That's what I was doing. If everybody in that scenario had just done what they were expected to do, let her wait until she can see that both lanes are clear and then pull out, wouldn't have, wouldn't have been in the accident. And maybe if she hadn't had the bacon cheeseburger in her hand, which probably isn't a great choice when you're driving, but if she hadn't had the bacon cheeseburger in her hand and the phone in her other hand, she might have noticed that there was a car coming down the left lane and not pulled out in the first place. That's all I'm saying. I'm learning to forgive. Obviously, I'm not there yet. Okay but forgiveness is really important. That's what I'm learning. That's, what I, that's really what I wanted to share with you. Um, <laughs> now we can joke about stuff like that, but the reality is that, uh, that there really are times in our life where people offend us, where they hurt us, where they abuse us, where they take advantage of us. And in those situations, it can be very hard to know how to forgive and if to forgive and what to forgive and why to forgive. And I don't know about you, but I've been through situations in my life where people have taken advantage of me. And after it's the dust has settled and the results have come out, I don't know quite what to think about it anymore. I don't know what to think about them anymore. I don't know how I feel about it. I don't know how they feel about it. I don't know if there's supposed to be a relationship between us. I don't know if that relationship is supposed to end. I don't know what I'm supposed to do as a Christian versus what the average person would do. It can be really, really confusing. And I've found that we use the word forgiveness for a lot of different things and in a lot of different ways. And so it becomes very confusing when someone has hurt you and whether it's a huge thing or whether it's a small thing and you're wondering, do I need to forgive this or should I just look past it? What does forgiveness mean for me? It can be really confusing. And I actually also find that sometimes the idea of forgiveness in the Bible is confusing as well. Because I come across verses that talk about forgiveness that just don't make sense to me because I've always been told that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he forgave all of my sin. So I've, I've always believed that Jesus Christ forgave all of my sin on the cross when he died, paying the penalty for it. But then I read him say something like this in Matthew chapter six, verse 14, where Jesus says, for if you, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will the father forgive your trespasses. And I read those verses and I'm like, wait, but I thought I was forgiven. <laughs> Well, I mean, didn't, didn't Jesus forgive me? On, if Jesus forgave me on the cross, well, why do I have to be forgiven again? I don't understand. I thought, I thought that it was all paid for. It can become really, why do, if, if, if Jesus has already forgiven all of my sin, why do I have to keep asking forgiveness? And then I get even confused when I'm praying and I'm asking forgiveness for my sin. I'm like, I know you've already forgiven this, but forgive me anyway. I don't know why I'm doing this. I get lost in my own head and 
And there's verses throughout the Bible that talk about how we need to ask God forgiveness. I'm like, well, that, well why does that work? What is that? What does it mean? It can be very, very confusing. Let me offer a little bit of clarity on that because God's, God's brought me to clarity on, on this issue, that, that contrast that happens. And I think it's gonna be helpful to understand this forgiveness with God when it gets to our forgiveness with other people. Okay, first of all, and, and I gotta do a little more study on this to, to verify all of the, the ins and outs of it. But as of yet, I can't actually find a verse that says that Jesus' death on the cross forgives our sins. What the scripture says over and over and over again is that Jesus' death on the cross pays for our sins. And paying for something and forgiving something are two totally different things. They're, they're related, but they're different. So Jesus paid for my sin on the cross. What Jesus did on the cross means that my sin debt is paid. It means that I know I am going to spend all of eternity with God. I'm going to spend eternity with him in heaven and then here in his kingdom and in the new heavens and the new earth. I'm going to be with him forever instead of being separated from him forever. However, when the Bible talks about forgiveness, it's talking about an ongoing relationship we have with God because as Jesus pays for my sin on the cross. I accept that by faith. But then my sin that I will continue to do inevitably continues to get between me and him, continues to disrupt my relationship with God. And so I need with God ongoing forgiveness, not so I can be with him forever, but so that I can maintain closeness and fellowship with him so that I can maintain a rich relationship with him instead of there being something between us relationally. The best example I can think of to, to describe it is marriage, you know, because when you, when you get married and you say, I do, and if that promise is forever, then you are going to be married, but that doesn't mean you're always good with each other, right? And when things come up and somebody offends someone else or someone else, someone hurts someone else within the marriage, you have to say, listen, we're good. Like I'm not going anywhere. We're good, but we're not good. And I feel like it's, that's the way it is with God. That when we accept Jesus Christ by faith, we're good, but we're not always good. See what I mean? A, a relationship, ongoing sin requires ongoing forgiveness in order to experience peace and harmony and closeness in any relationship. And sometimes it's huge things in our life that come between us. And sometimes it's little things in our life that come between us. All of them require forgiveness. And I know that that concept, again, is, is a little bit confusing. So what I thought I would do is share what I think is a simplified equation of forgiveness. This will help us think about it clearly. The forgiveness equation. All right, I'm, I'm going to give it to you in all the parts, and then we're going to break it down, and we're going to talk about what each piece is and means for us, all right? And don't, don't get too far ahead on this, because I know there's lots of, oh, wait, but <laughs> if within this. We'll hit, as many of those, we'll hit as many of those buts as we possibly can. That's what I'm saying. Nobody? I shouldn't have done that? You're saying I shouldn't have done that. Okay, that's fine. So forget I did that. All right, so here's the equation. Here's the question. That's like in court, right? Strike it from the record as if you can strike it from the record, right? Jury, I, I, I tell you to, you know, uh, you know, forget what you just heard. And they're like, yeah, sure. Okay. So anyway, uh, here's the equation. The equation is this. The first piece is that the offended chooses grace. The first piece is the offended chooses grace. Add that 
to the offender chooses humility. The offended chooses grace plus the offender chooses humility equals the relationship experiences peace. Now, a lot of the times that the reason that we don't get to peace in our relationships is because one side of this equation does not end up balancing. One side of this equation isn't willing to do what they need to do in order for the relationship to experience peace. And I want to be clear, too, before we get into this, that even if both parties do what they're supposed to be, supposed to do, and the relationship can then experience peace, that doesn't mean that the relationship is going to be restored. It doesn't mean that the relationship is going to be like it always was. You know, one of the big fears people have about forgiveness is, well, if I go through this process of forgiveness or if I forgive this person, then I'm letting, you know, Lori said that was one of her concerns in the video, that I'm letting them off the hook or that I'm saying it's okay. That is absolutely not what's happening. Or that you're opening yourself up to be hurt by them again. That is not what has to happen. Peace does not mean restoration. They are not the same thing. And forgiveness does not always necessitate restoration. All right? But now, let's talk about each one of these pieces, each of them in detail, and talk about why they are, where they are in the equation, and what they mean. The first one is that the offended chooses grace. Now, some of you might be thinking, that's, that, that's backwards. The offender choosing humility should be first, right? The person who did the wrong should be the one who takes the initial step towards forgiveness. And until they are willing to do that, I will never embrace the, the process of forgiveness. They have to admit what they did was wrong and they have to come to me because they're the offending party, right? That's what we would normally think. That's the way our human brains think for sure. But what you'll find out is that the wisdom of God is often contrary to the wisdom of men. And the things God asks us to do are the opposite of what we think we should do. And so it is, it's pride that keeps us in that mentality. I want to talk to you first so that you can see that God demonstrates why this should be first in the sequence, because God went first when it came to forgiveness. All right, Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. Paul says, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. What he's saying is that we base our reaction on people's behavior. So, uh, yeah, sure, I'll die for him if he's good. You know, I'll die for that person if they're righteous. They have to go first. But then he says in verse 8, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, his love, God's kind of love, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, in God's equation, God always goes he goes before we behave. He goes before we believe. He walks out in front and he chooses grace before we ever choose him. Some of you in the room, you may not be Christians. You may not count yourself a Christian. You've never put your faith in Christ. I want you to know Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins already. Whether you ever accept him or not, that offer stands to you. He's not waiting for you to get something right before you come to him. He's not waiting for you to do your part before you come to him. He is standing there with arms open in grace and he will cast your sin away from you and take on your sin debt so that you can be with God forever. 
And he stands there in grace. He took the very first step. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is teaching his disciples about forgiveness. All right, he's teaching them what to do when somebody wrongs them, when somebody hurts them. And this is what he tells them to do. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 Jesus says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, so someone has hurt you, they've abused you, they've taken advantage of you, they've deceived you. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. So when Jesus is talking about someone uh, victimizing you, his instruction to you is that you need to go and take the initial step. And the whole purpose of the process that he goes through in Matthew chapter 18 is aimed at restoration, even though it's not always possible. It's aimed at restoration. And he says, you need to go first. Not, it doesn't say wait till they come to you. It doesn't say wait until they repent. It doesn't say wait until they make restoration to you or pay back what they owe. It doesn't say that. It says that you are supposed to go first. And then he goes on and he goes through this whole process. He says, all right, if they don't listen to you, then you take two or three people with you so everything can be attested. They can witness everything. And if they still won't repent, they still won't turn around, then you go and you tell it to the church, to the leadership or the church as a whole. You tell them what's happened and they go. And if the person still won't repent, so then you treat them like you would an unbeliever because they're acting like an unbeliever. <laughs> treat them as if they're outside the family of God because they're acting as if they're outside the family of God. Jesus gives them this whole instruction. Sometimes, you know, we're sitting and waiting for the person who hurt us to come and ask forgiveness, and the person who hurt us isn't thinking a thing about it. Have you ever noticed that when pain happens, when you're hurt, the offended person always thinks more of it than the offender does? A lot of times they don't know it was wrong or they don't know there's a problem. I've had that happen many times where I've, I have offended someone and I just didn't realize I'd done it. And then they sat with it and they harbored it and they held on to it and it festered and it grew and it became much more than it was. And then they finally came to me in frustration or in anger. And I was like, well, I'm, like, I'm, you know, I'm sorry for that. I didn't even know I did it. <laughs> so we got to be willing to take the step to come and to say something to us. It's important that that step comes before the second step. Not only because it honors God and, and acts in God's character, but you need to do it for you, if anything else. Because if you are sitting and you're waiting on that person to ask forgiveness and to come and to, to choose humility, you're going to have a long wait in front of you. And in the meantime, things are not going to get better for you and they are not going to heal for you. We need to offer grace before and if ever the person actually comes back to us. You see, you look at this equation, you got the first two inputs and then you have the output. The two inputs, if both of them happen, you can have peace in the relationship. But as I said, often one side of that equation won't do it. But if you do your part in the equation, even if there isn't peace in the relationship, there can be peace within you. That if you will learn to offer grace to that person who hurt you, even if they will never or could never, in some cases, the person who hurt you has passed away or they're gone or you're never going to see them again and you're struggling. There's never going to be peace in that relationship. There can be peace within you if you choose to give them grace the same way that God gives grace. Well, how does God give grace? I know how hard that is. How do I do that? How do I choose grace for somebody who's hurt me? 
Well, you learn to look at them the way that God looks at them. You learn to, instead of being angry with them, you learn to look at them with compassion and in some cases with empathy. To look at them and say they are sinful. I mean, think of how God looks at us. If God wanted to, he could have looked at us and he could have said, these people are worthless. They don't want me. They don't care about me. And so forget them. Let them do their own thing. Let them just spiral down into oblivion. But God didn't do that. He loved us so much that he looked at us and he knew that we were sinners and he knew that our, we were fighting with our, our own nature. And that, but he made a way and he stood in grace for us. And we should do the same thing for other people. And that's a really hard thing to do. It comes through prayer. It comes through reflection. It comes through reading God's word and learning to look at that person instead of looking at them at the attacker that hurts you or the person who, who took advantage of you to look at that person and say, this is somebody God loves and they made a massive mistake and they may not even realize it, but they are a sinner and they need forgiveness and they need help and they need healing. And my anger towards them is doing nothing to them. It's only doing bad to me. And so I have to learn to let that go. I have to learn to forgive them. You know, Peter was listening to Jesus talk about forgiveness. And um, Jesus was saying, okay, so here's the process you go through. And, and hey, if they repent, if they turn around, you forgive them, you, you take them back. And Peter's listening to this. And I imagine, I guess Peter's been hurt a lot in his life. Or he, maybe Peter had people in his life who were consistently making mistakes and not learning from them. But Peter looks back at Jesus and he says, whoa, 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 wait a second. How many times am I supposed to do this? I mean, if somebody keeps hurting me, how many times am I supposed to offer them grace? Like seven times? Is that good? Peter's like, I got a few people that are on six. Okay, they're on six right now. And, uh, you know, they're, they're on the hot seat. So seven, I mean, when am I off the hook on this? When am I supposed to, when am I allowed to stop looking at them the way you look at them and start looking at them the way I want to look at them? How many times am I supposed to forgive? And she says, no, 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 no. I tell you, not seven times, 70 times seven. And that's, that's not 490. I know it is, isn't it? Okay, I know, <laughs> second guess myself for a second. That's not for, like you might have someone, you're like, yes, I got someone on 489 right now. I've been keeping track. That's not what he's saying. Jesus, he's, he's like the king of exaggeration. And when he's teaching and he's saying, no, 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 just, it's, it's every time. And why, why would we do that? Why would, what is the motivation I mean, some of you, maybe you're not a Christian or maybe you, you haven't been around Christians very long or, or whatever, and you're like, why would you even do that? I mean, <laughs> just don't forgive them. They don't deserve it. Don't forgive them. Jesus tells us, he tells his disciples exactly why they should forgive every single time. And he tells a parable. It's a story with a meaning that they would understand. It's called the parable of the unmerciful servant. It's about a guy who owed a ton of money to this, to this rich man. And the rich man calls the debt. And this, this man who owes the money goes before him and he says, please, please let me, uh, let me off. I, I, my, my, I have a family to take care of. I'll pay it back. I promise you I'll pay it, pay it back over time. But please, 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 please don't punish me for this. And the rich man says, fine, I'm, I'm going to let you go. And so he lets him go. And then that same man who was just forgiven of his debt goes and finds a man who owes him a fraction of what he owes the other man. And he, he demands his money from that person. In fact, ends up having that person thrown into prison until he can pay back his debt that he owes him. 
And when the rich man hears that the guy who is forgiven would not forgive the other one who owes him, he took him and he ended up punishing him. And then Jesus says this, Matthew 18, 35. So my heavenly father also will do to each of you, do if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Jesus tells them the reason that you're going to forgive every single time is because God forgives you every single time. No matter how many times you turn your back on him, no matter how many times you make mistakes, no matter how many times you prove yourself unworthy of his love the same way that I do, he is always standing there in grace, will always forgive our sin and receive us back into his arms. And Jesus is saying, if you are unwilling to do for someone else what your father has done for you, that doesn't just create a problem between you and that person, it creates a problem between you and God. So the unforgiveness, and Lori talked about this in her video, the unforgiveness that we harbor in our heart not only creates a barrier between us and that person, the unforgiveness we harbor in our heart creates a barrier between us and God. And we will never be in close fellowship with him the way that we want to be until we learn to forgive and offer grace to the people who have hurt us. Martin Luther King Jr. put it this way. He said, he who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. There is some good in the worst of us and some evil in the best of us. When we discover this, we are less prone to hate our enemies. I cannot be like Christ if I am unwilling to forgive people their sins. And listen, I don't know what, I know there's a lot of different experience represented in this room. I'm just going to say this as boldly as I can. You can forgive them. You may think you can't, but you can. It may take time to get there, but you can. So I want to encourage you to begin praying for them. Not about them. <laughs> not at them. <laughs> Certainly not against them. I want to encourage you to pray for them, that God would change their heart, that God would extend his mercy to them. And through that prayer, through that focus, through the saying to God, I want to change the way I think about this person. I want to offer grace to this person that you, over a process of time, hopefully sooner rather than later, so you can release that resentment, can learn to forgive, regardless of what they ever do in return or don't do in return. And maybe that's the commitment that you need to make today. So that's the first side of the equation. The offended chooses grace. The second side of the equation, the offender chooses humility. Now I would say more often than not, this is where it breaks down. Because pride is powerful and pride builds on pride. And so when pride and arrogance cause us to hurt someone else, it's the very same pride that will prevent us from choosing humility in order to go back to them and ask forgiveness. I think that recognizing that we've made a mistake and asking for forgiveness is one of the hardest things we will ever do in our life. It feels like crossing a boundary that we haven't crossed before. But in a relationship, once you cross that boundary once, it becomes easier to cross it the next time and the next time and the next time. Asking forgiveness is really hard. James says we need to do this with each other. 
He says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. It is a big move to admit your fault and to ask forgiveness. And I want to just throw it out there to you and ask, is there somebody that you've wronged maybe recently or years ago that you need to ask forgiveness of? that you need to choose humility and say, as hard as this is for me to say, I was wrong. I was hurt. I was broken. Maybe you can even explain why you did it. That would help you not to do it again, (laughs) to understand the motivation. But to say, I was wrong and I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me for it? That is vitally important in our relationships. And I want to say that the first part of the equation often inspires the second part of the equation, that when the offended person chooses grace, it often inspires the safety of being able to confess and knowing that you're not just going to get lashed back at, but that you're going to be able to experience peace in the relationship. But confession and repentance are vitally important in any relationship. And repentance, by the way, is it is a change of mind, but there's also a change of behavior that goes with it. And so when we say, some of you have people in your life that have come to you a hundred different times and said, I'm sorry for what I did, but they're not actually repentant of that. They haven't actually chosen humility. They're just trying to get off, right? They're just trying to get away with it. And so they say they're sorry. What we're talking about is choosing true humility and repentance. When we think about our relationship with God, we're always on this side of the equation, (laughs) all right? God is always on the side of choosing grace because he never offends us. We may think he does, but he doesn't. We are always on the offender side. And it's a big thing to choose humility and to say to God, I was wrong. I know I'm wrong. Would you please forgive me? And the promise God gives to us is that when we come to him in faith like that, when we come to him in humility and we ask forgiveness of our sin, he will forgive our sin. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness is what the Bible says. And that verse, by the way, that verse is not about our initial salvation when Jesus pays our sin debt. That verse is about our ongoing relationship with God. That every single day when we make mistakes, when we offend God, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can always have restoration in our relationship with God. James puts it this way. James chapter four, verses six through 10. But he, it's capital he, that's God, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he, said God, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. You know, the difference between humbling ourselves in the sight of the Lord and humbling ourselves in the sight of a person is that when we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, we know exactly how he's going to react. When we humble ourselves in the sight of people, we don't always know how they're going to react. So it's incredibly scary. But you should never be afraid to confess your sins to God. Because he will always restore you. He will always lift you up. That's his promise. All right. 
A verse I just read a minute ago came from 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you confess your sin to God, you will be immediately good with him. It'll be like, hey, we're good and we're good. We're good and we're good. You know, until the next time we sin and that comes between us and God and then we have to confess and ask forgiveness and then we're good and good again. This is a process. Ongoing sin requires ongoing forgiveness. But if we embrace that with God and if we can experience that with someone else, then the equation works. The relationship experiences peace. So I just want to ask you, do you have any relationships that are not at peace right now? Maybe it's a relationship with another person. You're at odds with them. Maybe somebody from your past or maybe somebody very, very recent. Maybe it's somebody on Highway 52 today. It's possible. (laughs) Not in the parking lot out here. You all were angels pulling in, I'm sure. Is there somebody that you're not at peace with? There's a tension there. You know there's a tension there. And maybe you've convinced yourself that it's okay because you can just stuff that aside and it's not going to affect you. I promise it's affecting you. Because not only based on what we read in scripture is that a problem between you and that person, but that ongoing problem between you and that person is an ongoing problem between you and God. Because if you're not willing to forgive them, then you're not displaying the character that he wants you to have, which is to be a person of grace. Is there somebody that you need to learn to look at the way that God looks at them? And offer them grace. Do you, have you learned to look at them that way, but you've never said anything to them? Is that your next step? To tell them that you offer them grace? It could be the thing that inspires them to humility. It might do nothing. But at least creates the opportunity for the relationship to experience peace. Or maybe you find yourself on the other side of the equation with someone. And you've offended them and you know you've offended them, but you have not asked forgiveness. You have not humbled yourself in front of them. That is what you need to do. Maybe it's in your relationship with God. You had an ongoing sin in your life and you've not confessed it to him. You've not talked to him about it. You've not repented of that sin. And because of that, it's creating a barrier between you and him that sometimes is hard to describe So I don't know what's wrong. I just know I don't feel close to him right now. Is that because of a sin that you have in your life that you've not confessed and asked forgiveness for? That would be your next step. And you need to know with confidence that when you go to God and you confess your sin, just like the scripture says, he is faithful and just and will forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You can be good with him today. And it begins with God of accepting the payment of Christ on the cross. And then it continues with God asking forgiveness of the sin that comes between us. But you can do that. You can ask forgiveness in the confidence of knowing we're good, even though we're not quite good yet. So whatever your step is, I know it's a big thing. And I know a lot of you struggle with deep and very difficult um, uh, issues. And so what I want to do is spend a little bit of time praying. And we're going to ask God for each of us to show us what it is that we need to do and to give us the confidence and the boldness to follow through. All right, let's pray together. All right, God, I just want to start and say thank you for your example of love. That in all things, we can look at how you've loved us and know how we are to love each other.
that we can look first and foremost at the sacrificial love of your son, Jesus. Christ, you gave your life on the cross to pay for our sin, and we are thankful for that. But not only did you pay for sin on the cross, but you were put into the tomb, and three days later, you rose again in power, proving victory. And we know that by faith in you, belief in you, that we can have our sin paid. And when we make that decision, we know we are good with you forever to be with you forever instead of separated with you from you forever. And so God, I ask that if there's anybody with us today who's never made that decision, that this would be the day that they would say, I believe. And for so many of us that have believed, that have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we continue to struggle and we're, we're trying to become more and more like your son in the power of the spirit we do make mistakes. We do fail, though we don't want to. We do fail. And so we thank you for the promise that when we come to you in faith, that if we confess our sin to you, you are faithful and you, will you are just and you will forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God, for anyone here who's been dealing with a sin issue that's been di disconnecting them from you in their life, I pray right now you give them the boldness to be honest with you to say it and to turn in their mind and to turn in their heart to choose a new path, a path that will honor you and draw them closer to you. And God, for everyone in the room who has a problem in a relationship with them and someone else because somebody sinned, First, we wouldn't be foolish enough to believe that in 90% of those cases, we're not on both sides of the equation at the same time. So help us to understand what we need to do in order to offer grace to the person who's hurt us. Help us to understand what we need to do to ask forgiveness for the person we've hurt, to choose humility. So that even if the relationship can't be restored to what it once was, at the very least, we can have peace between us and we can have peace with you. So God, we come to you asking you for help, trusting that you are good and that you are loving and that you will never fail us. And that even when our relationships with people break down, our relationship with you can be strong because you are good. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.